it's rather ironic that we need community to thrive as a family. But those of us with kids that don't have a quote-unquote typical child who often need that support the most can't always find it. Community access can feel like a luxury instead of a basic human need. Even simple things like finding a babysitter just to get some real downtime are challenging when you can't find a babysitter willing to sit with the heart of your kids being too much. Unless you hire one that specializes in that that you can actually afford. It's suffocating when you get kicked out of yet another daycare or after school program because your child just couldn't conform. Another phone call from the school that you have to talk yourself off the ledge before you can even pick it up because you just know that your child's struggles meant another parent's recrimination. All you want is for your kid to be okay, to just feel happy, to fit in, to not be violent, to just have success and, well, ease. So you keep pushing and apologizing and trying to make things work and throwing yourself under every dang bus you can just to fix it. But you just can't fix it. We need a parenting 2.0 for this. Because the parenting for beginners didn't begin to cover what to do when everything you've done so far isn't working. I see you. I've been there. And I know what that's like. Hey, I'm Annabeth. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach and host of the Safe Haven Parenting Podcast. I help single parents who have experienced a relationship that cost them their safety or their sanity find healing and learn to break the trauma cycle for their own children. Today, I'm going to talk about finding community as a parent when your family doesn't fit inside the box people try and put us in and why it's important to stop apologizing over our kids and instead start advocating for them. I'll also touch on advocating fatigue and what to do with that. With my first child, I thought parenting was hard. I thought I knew what it was like to have a strong-willed child and was handling it with grace and ease most of the time. I'd show up at mom circles and we'd all laugh over what strong-willed thing our child did that day. Like not wanting socks. Bless their little hearts. I thought I knew how to parent. Until I didn't. I thought I had community. Until I didn't. I thought I had it all figured out. And yeah, nope, I definitely didn't. Peaceful parenting is really great. It's needed in this conversation around parenting. We have like 50 years worth of research all saying the same thing. It's time to make a shift in how we treat, talk to, and raise our children. And also how we label them. Like, can we please stop using this strong-willed child trope? (laughs) And balanced with that, what is missing is how to manage when your child winds up with a developmental delay. How to manage when they've experienced trauma. How to manage when it's your kid the teacher calls home about all the time. Not because you weren't a gentle enough parent, but because circumstances outside of our control were not. The thing is that yes, children develop the same. 
but they don't always develop at the same time. And how children develop is that they learn and grow by watching and talking with their grown-ups. But when their grown-ups have to focus on their own survival, the child isn't getting typical childhood interactions. And when there is stress, instead of focusing on development, the brain is now focusing on survival, which impacts how a child is able to learn, manage stress, communicate with others, or identify emotions and needs. And even if they themselves aren't having direct interaction with the person who is unsafe, if one of their adults in their household is, that still has a direct impact on the child. As great as parenting blogs and parenting books are, good luck finding help for things beyond sleep issues and toddler aggression. We are often dealing with children who are processing like a two-year-old, but in a seven-year-old body. We have the 10-year-old who's just experiencing safety for the first time, who can't fit in with the 10-year-olds who've always had safety. We need info on how to cope when our kids are triggered or when they're triggering us. And we need to see these authors and bloggers tackle how to create inclusive communities that support trauma survivors instead of just ousting them and passing them off as problem people or problem children. We wind up having a collective expectation placed on us that when our kids behave badly, we will, of course, just be able to do something about them, to just fix it overnight. But people don't always understand the difference between developmental and deliberate. And when it's framed as deliberate, they think we can fix it by just being more of a parent. We are offered advice like just hit the child harder, take away more of their things, make them sit in a chair more often, be harder on them, talk to them, lecture them, cut their behavior out completely and just stop allowing it to happen. These are unrealistic and honestly ignorant. They leave us filling impossible shoes to fill. You can't spank or punish a paralyzed child into walking any more than you can a traumatized child into normalcy. And like, what even is normal? It's just a social construct based on someone's immediate bubble of worldview, experiences, and beliefs. Instead of seeing the child as human, we filter through through this lens of good kid and bad kid, good parent and bad parent. We have to stop putting people through that. That lens is harmful on so many flipping levels, and it removes access to real community, not just a click based on one's able-bodied or able-brained experiences. It can be tempting as a parent to take this on as shame, to lose our confidence, to feel like a bad parent. It's tempting to apologize, placate, and hope that somewhere along the way we will find someone who just maybe tolerates us or our children as long as we can keep up this facade and not mess it up. It can lead us to always feeling afraid to be vulnerable and to trust the friendships that we actually do have. But listen up, this is important. 
If you are a parent with a child who is neurodiverse, stop apologizing. Just stop. You're okay here. Your child is okay here. Stop apologizing for something that isn't your child's fault. Stop apologizing for something that isn't your fault. Stop apologizing and instead start advocating. Stop apologizing and speak out when you see this happening to another child or parent. Stop settling for people who tolerate you because you are afraid no one will celebrate you. We have this entire community of parents who feel like they've been living on the fringes of society, needing people to support us, love us, and see our kids, not for what happened to them, but for the amazing little humans they are despite what happened to them. Yes, acknowledge someone if they get hurt or offended. Yes, problem solve. But don't accept anything less than someone who is there for you fully and not just waiting on the sideline for you to become that more of parent. Stick with those who see you, get you, and show up anyways. Stop apologizing for your child's needs or for your own and start advocating. People who have never learned about trauma aren't going to know how to show up for trauma survivors or to even like what to even search to find that. If you wait for someone to get it, they might not ever. The other day, I was talking with a group of business owners and someone in the group was deaf and using a reader to participate in the dialogue. She asked for accommodation so that she could participate, and up until that moment, it never occurred to me to do an internet search on how to have inclusive conversations for people within the deaf and hard of hearing communities. It wasn't something I had ever even had to think about, even though I know that community is out there, even though I even took a semester of ASL in college, I've never had to really learn it. And while this is on me and I should have taken that time, it just didn't even cross my mind. Ignorance can create cliques and cool kid clubs without meaning to. People are often well-intentioned and have never had to learn about these issues that we've lived. They don't think to Google terms like, how do kids respond to trauma? What they're Googling is what to do if someone hits my kid at school. Or they're asking within their mom groups, which creates this echo chamber of people who also have never learned about underlying behavior. So it casts this like majority vote that feels educated because it was the majority without it actually being well informed. As much as I would love to say it's their responsibility to learn about these topics, it's just unrealistic to expect them to think about or understand our unique experiences. It's so easy to not want to cause conflict and to just respond to everything with, I'm so, so sorry, or just fading into the background because we feel shame or defeat. And when I say stop apologizing, I don't mean like doing it because we are dismissing the pain or the um, um the disruption. Goodness knows we feel that to our very being. When I say to stop apologizing, I just, I just mean that 
Like, we can acknowledge what's happened and still instead turn that around and advocate for our children through that. Because while we don't owe people our story or our children's diagnosis or the huge laundry list of professionals we've sought for help, we don't owe people an explanation And we don't advocate for our children because we're trying to gain sympathy or their friendship. Compassion should be default, not earned. We advocate because we are our child's best chance at understanding and accepting themselves. We advocate because it's human to have tunnel vision and people don't know what they don't know. We advocate because we belong here. We can take up space here. We have value to offer here, and we are valuable, period. We belong here, in this time, in this space. We advocate because it's what creates the bridge of everyone's needs, not just being heard, but understood and valued. We advocate because it calls out what's not right in our society And it holds people accountable to their bias and their judgment. We advocate because there are those out there who haven't found their voice yet. We advocate because it creates community, not just clicks. It opens the door to relationships founded on validation, understanding, encouragement, and the freedom to be ourselves and for our children to shine. It creates safety, and through that safety, it creates healing. We advocate by creating safety plans, helping kids express themselves, creating environments where success is actually attainable, and avoiding those where it's not. Like, for a while, that meant I didn't do playdates at my house because sharing toys was too triggering. I identified the hard triggers and avoided them until I could work to heal them. Also, talking about what our kids need ahead of time instead of in the moment or after it's too late. We can also advocate by sharing the big picture. Our reality is that what we are doing in the moment of the behavior upset may not look like much to those watching from the outside because most of our work with our kids is happening behind the scenes where it feels invisible, but it's what's actually making the biggest difference. It loops it back to it being developmental and not deliberate. Because if it's deliberate, sure, you could fix it in the moment, But most of us aren't dealing with deliberate, we're dealing with developmental. And here's the thing, there are so many of us falling on the spectrum somewhere of our needs at some point or other being inconvenient to those that love us. On a large scale, a lot of people are struggling right now with anxiety, depression, mental health, physical health, like you name it. We need to normalize understanding and meeting needs that put us out of our comfort zone or maybe stretch our energy a little. Because at some point, we're going to ask others to do that for us. We need to normalize what living in community actually looks like. It's not always positive vibes and independence. Sometimes it's hard conversations and sometimes it's interdependence. 
it's allowing that being human comes with being varied. If we can normalize that, we can open the door to those who have needs that may be different than what we are used to, but in no way makes that person a problem or less than for having those needs. When we advocate for our kids and ourselves, that's what tips the scale to being inclusive and allows everyone who's feeling on the fringes realize that there's a whole lot of us all trying to fit ourselves into these neurotypical spaces and apologizing when we can't instead of holding neurotypical spaces accountable for being there in the first place because they're mostly built on the myth of normalcy. And to be clear, it's our job to advocate, but it is not our job to manage how people respond to our advocacy. They still have to do the work of addressing their own bias and how they look and view at these issues. And not everyone has done the inner work needed to do that. Sometimes we have to move on and that's okay. That doesn't mean they're bad or awful people. It just means not yet. Maybe not ever. And sometimes we have to work on our own advocating and communication skills too. We have to learn how to leave shame behind and communicate efficiently. And that's a process in and of itself. At some point, we may even hit the advocating wall and just don't even have the energy to keep advocating. We're already maxed out and it's normal to get advocating fatigue. That wall is there to rest on, not keep pushing against. And maybe through that rest, examining whether or not we're advocating with people who are open to seeing us and being with us. Because there's also space for recognizing that we go where we are celebrated and not just tolerated. And that might mean recognizing when the seeds we are planting with our advocacy aren't landing on ground that they'll ever grow on. And it's time to acknowledge that and step back. Some people aren't willing to address their biases around neurodiversity and so we have to move on. We look for and create spaces where everyone gets a chance to be seen, heard, heal, and thrive. If you hit the wall, rest. Call your mental health provider, your parenting coach, your advocate. Order dinner for yourself. Take a break from your never-ending to-do list. Take a walk outside, just feel the wind on your face, blow some bubbles with your kids, or just rest and be, and repeat to yourself that you belong here. Your children belong here. I get it. I see you. I know how big of a deal this is. I wish I had a magic fix for all of it, but I don't. Sometimes we lose those we love. I know I have. Sometimes we get hurt. We get left behind. Advocacy doesn't always fix that. It just helps us say that we are no longer going to tolerate how neurodiversity is treated, regardless of why that neurodiversity is there. We get to be in charge of our spaces now. Thank you for turning into this episode of Safe Haven Parenting. I hope it has brought you some encouragement if you're feeling alone or in over your head raising a child impacted by trauma. If there's a topic you would love to hear about, you can drop me a line through my Instagram found in the link in my bio. Until next time, I hope you have a lovely week.